Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here. Um, today I want to go over this blog post that I did. It's called uh, Five Steps to Lose Weight with Hypothyroidism. And what I do here is I um, go over some case studies in my office and I talk about the reasons why patients with thyroid issues cannot lose weight. Um, before I do that, I want to jump up here and just kind of introduce myself. You can see my picture right here. Um, this is my blog. It's restartmed.com and I'm Dr. Childs. I'm this guy. Um, I'm really grateful that this blog post has had, uh, you know, almost about a thousand shares, so it's it's pretty popular. Um, and I, I want to go over it in detail um, with you guys here. So I think a lot of people prefer to uh, listen and to watch as opposed to read, and it can be a lot of information, so I'm hoping to make it a little bit easier to, to digest here. Um, so let me jump down here and kind of get started um, with some of these issues. So essentially what I've done is I've created a a five-step process that I go through with every hypothyroid patient that comes into my office. Uh, and really what it's about is looking at hormones. And you'll know this um, if you have hypothyroidism because chances are you've probably been unable to lose weight. Uh, and, and even if you have cleaned up your diet, even if you uh, are on the right thyroid medication, you may not be losing weight. And, and you, you may be frustrated or confused as to why that's happening. And the, the, what I'm going to go over is why that happens. And really the bottom line is the thyroid is only a small part of that puzzle, okay? Um, there are many more hormones in your body that lead to weight gain and weight loss resistance, which is what you're suffering from if you can't lose any weight. Um, and thyroid is just one of those five, and so I'll talk about these. So I want, I want to impress upon you that it is important to go over these five steps, but not only that, uh, you need to go over them, and I recommend in this order, okay? And so I'll go over each of these um, um, briefly here with you. So number one is reverse insulin resistance if present, and we'll talk about how to check for that. Um, number two is treat leptin resistance and thyroid resistance if present. Okay, so that's step number two. Step number three is treat estrogen dominance if present. We'll talk about that. Then step number four is replace testosterone levels if necessary. And step number five is to treat adrenal fatigue and elevated cortisol levels if they are present as well. Okay. So we're going to go over each of these in a little more detail, and I'm going to give you some case studies uh, from patients of mine that I've treated um, that have got, you know, that have had amazing results. And I've, I pretty much specialize in, in thyroid issues, but also in weight loss, because as you, you know, as you can probably attest to, many patients with hypothyroidism also have issues with um, losing weight. So number one here is insulin resistance, uh, and the best way to check for insulin resistance is by ordering these, these two tests, but there's more than this, but these are the two sort of necessary tests you need to have. So number one is insulin, and you can see my mouse cursor over here. This is a patient of mine, um, and this patient's results of uh, insulin is 22.1, and it's worth noting that this is in the fasted state. All right, and you can see the reference range here is 3 to 25. So this person is in the higher end of the reference range, and you might be saying, well, yeah, his insulin isn't actually, or her insulin isn't actually that elevated. Well, that's the, that's the tricky thing, and that's why most doctors don't even order insulin. In fact, I would challenge you to go back, look through your lab tests, and, set, and ask your doctor, or just look back through your labs and see when the last time insulin was ordered. And the reason for that is insulin varies wildly throughout the day because it's influenced by the amount of carbohydrate and protein that you eat. Okay? But what I can tell you is this. If you're not eating food, if you're not putting protein or carbohydrate in your body, your insulin should not be elevated. So a sensitive way to test for insulin resistance is to see if you have insulin in your blood and in your body while you're fasting, because it should not be there if that's the case. And the, the, the cutoff that I use for, for this test is, is five. So if you have a 12-hour fasting blood draw and you check your insulin and it's greater than five, 
that's a big deal. Okay, so this person, yes, if you if you put it putting that result into this context, you can see that a 22 is massive, right? This five times um, or four times higher than what it should be. And then the second test you want to look for is the hemoglobin A1C. So the hemoglobin A1C is a is basically an average. It's an estimate of the amount of blood sugar, an average amount of blood sugar in your body based off of the life of the red blood cell. Now, I can almost guarantee that you do have this uh, in your labs if you look, because most doctors, conventional or otherwise, um, will order hemoglobin A1C as sort of a part of the standard panel. And you can see this patient's result is 5.8, um, and this estimated average glucose is a calculation based off of that. So what this is saying is this 5.8 estimates to be about 120 of, um, on average, blood sugar throughout, throughout the uh, throughout every day. And you can see that this is impaired uh, glucose tolerance. So it is flagged this. And this means this patient is actually falls within the pre-diabetic range. So that pre-diabetic range goes from 5.7 to 6.4. And anything above 5.7 and, and less than 6.5 is considered pre-diabetes. And anything greater than 6.5 um, on, on uh, I think, two consecutive uh, tests is considered type 2 diabetes. Um, or diabetes mellitus. Okay, so this person you can see she she has high levels of insulin. She shows signs of insulin resistance, which is catching up and now causing an elevation of blood sugar. And she's in the pre-diabetic range. And I would challenge you to look at your blood and see if that's the case. And there's a reason that this is uh, so important. Okay, and so I'm going to explain it on this graph, which is which is huge. So on the x-axis you have insulin here, and on the y-axis you have fat breakdown. So look at the curve about of fat breakdown and uh, on. At, compared to the amount of insulin you have in your blood and see how it's kind of it has this funny shape all right and so if you look at, and to put this into context we'll say this person has 22 which you, you can't it's in a different units here but to put into perspective um, this inflection point right here occurs around f less than five if you uh, change the uh, the units so let's let's uh, put her number in here so you can see I'm, I'm, I'm kind of arbitrarily putting it here but um, if let's say her insulin was 100 you would come up here on the x-axis to the 100 of insulin, and then this is where she'd fall on the graph. So you'd say, okay, how much fat is she burning? You go all the way across, and you see here, hardly anything at all, okay? So as insulin drops, you slide up on this graph, and your fat burn starts to get real, starts to get, uh, real intense. But you can see there's a huge inflection point here. And, and what I hope you notice is that in the presence of any insulin, you don't burn hardly any fat at all. And I hope this is making sense. So you see that what this, what's happening to this woman. So in the fasted state, when she's not eating any food, her insulin is still high, and her fat breakdown is essentially going to be zero. So what we have to do is we have to lower her insulin, push her on this graph all the way up, and then look what happens when she gets less than five. Fat burn shoots all the way up to 90, almost 100%. So look back up at this result here. 22 is huge. She's got to go down to five in order to get this amazing fat burn. So people will come into my office and they'll say, I can't lose weight no matter what I do. I'm eating 1,000 calories. I'm on T3. I'm on natural desiccated thyroid. What is going on? I check their insulin. It's 15. It's 10. It's 20. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to burn any fat, right? You, you'll just burn the, the glucose that's in your blood and in your liver for energy. So number one is going to be check your insulin, check your hemoglobin A1C, and treat it if it's elevated. The lab test you want to check for, we already went over, would be insulin, um, hemoglobin A1C. I give you the numbers here. You can see all of this in the blog post, okay? Um, and then I, I also like fasting blood glucose to be less than 85. Um, in terms of treatment, that can get a little bit tricky, but what I would recommend, and I'll include some links in the, um, 
the product or the uh, description below. But two of the supplements that you can use right away, one would be berberin and the other would be curcumin. So berberin has been shown in some studies to be almost as effective as metformin in reducing the hemoglobin A1C. And curcumin, on the other hand, has shown in some studies to prevent the onset of type 2 diabetes in those that have prediabetes for up to nine months. That's huge. Okay, so two of these things, and I'll give you links to the specific brands that I use and that I love, um, and I'll give you those links below. So, um, and remember, not all supplements are created equal, so you want to get the high-quality stuff. All right, number two. So we did number one already, insulin resistance. I hope you understand why that's a big deal. Number two, thyroid resistance and leptin resistance. So you're going to, I know what you're going to say, I, I, you may have never even heard those terms before, so, so what does this mean? So let me go down and show you with some patient labs. So first of all, you'll notice here, Oh, this thing's going to get in my way a little bit. Um, first of all, the triiodothyronine, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, basically the amount of free T3 in the blood, and the triiodothyronine reverse is another name for reverse T3. So somebody with thyroid resistance has may have normal levels of free T3, but has high levels of reverse T3, and that's a big deal because for every every um, molecule basically of reverse T3 it competes with free T3 for binding. So what you have happen now uh, is you have these guys competing for binding at the cellular level and producing the effects of thyroid hormone there. Okay, So it's important to have as much free T3 as possible and as little reverse T3 as possible. And the way that you do this is with the calculation. So you take the free T3 and you divide it by the reverse T3 to see how much is available. And you'll look at this patient, like if she went to a normal doctor and didn't get a reverse T3 checked, you would look at it and say, well, her free T3 is actually, you know, it's okay, right? It's, her result is 3.5. The range is 2.3 to 4.2. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. Okay, it's not the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, you're fine. Get out the door. When in reality, if you put it into context by ordering the reverse T3, which is 18.8, and this should never be bigger than 15, never greater than 15, okay? Now it makes more sense. You're saying, okay, her, this is kind of falsely elevated. This 3.5 isn't actually resulting in a lot of thyroid getting into the cells because the reverse T3 is way too high. All right, and so that's that's a big deal. And then look, this is the same patient. Now look at this. For her free T4, you might look at it and say, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's on the low range. It's probably low one-third or so. And her TSH looks relatively preserved. But I can tell you from experience, because number one, I treated her, and number one, I've treated, or number two, I've treated a lot of other patients like her. This is somebody who's going to do really, really, really well with thyroid hormone, and they're probably not going to lose any weight until they get this taken care of. Okay, and so this was someone that would probably benefit from having T3 in some form, uh, you know, something like natural desiccated or even T3 only like lyothyronine, sustained release T3 or something, something like that. Okay, so that's a big deal. You got to make sure you get that treated. Uh, the second thing is you want to look for leptin resistance. Okay, and uh, I have included this graph here, which goes over exenatide, which is a GLP-1 agonist. And so don't get too hung up on that name. Essentially what it is, is it's a medication that helps treat leptin resistance. And I have found that most people who have thyroid resistance also have leptin resistance. So the two really go together. All right. And so that's why it's so critical to order this reverse T3. Um, this, this, I don't have this patient's leptin results, but for your information, leptin should always be less than 12. Okay. Um, but look here at this study. This is, this is taken from uh, the, the manufacturers of the medication and it shows time on the x-axis down here, so 0 to 15 weeks, and then on the y-axis it shows how much weight they lost. So it's the mean change in weight in kilograms, which is important. This is not pounds, this is kilograms. And so you can see those that were treated 
with the GLP-1 agonists who also have thyroid resistance, their weight falls down without making any other changes simply by reversing that hormone imbalance down to somewhere between the four range. So that's probably around 10 to, you know, my results show in about three months, anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds. Um, but if you treat somebody with T3, uh, in addition to the GLP-1 agonist, which is ex in this case, exenatide, um, they get even more weight loss. So uh, the point is, it's a, it's a good medication to use. It can help a lot with leptin resistance and they really need to be tested together. Um, so what I do, what I want you to know is make sure you check your leptin levels. Less than 12 sh um, should be, is considered normal. Um, and then you have to do this calculation that I mentioned before, which is the free T3 um, divided by the reverse T3, and that gives you a ratio, and this should be greater than um, 0.2, okay? If it's anything less, that means you have thyroid resistance, and if it's greater than that, what it means is you have enough free T3 molecules to outcompete the amount of reverse T3, okay? I know it's kind of a complicated uh, subject, but read through it a couple times, go back and listen to this, um, slow me down if you need to, um, but go over that. Um, okay, so that's number two. Number three, this is a this is a big one. Okay, and almost everybody has this. Uh, oh, every woman has this, and even some men. It's estrogen dominance. Okay, and it, it goes a lot with hypothyroidism because um, progesterone levels are influenced by patients who have hypothyroidism. All right, and so the way that you want to look at this is, I usually I don't even recommend ordering. Um, a lot of estradiol levels or progesterone levels in the serum. It just gets, they're not as helpful and I'll explain why um, using this graph here. Um, so what you want to do, what I do recommend is getting it in the urine because then you can check for the metabolites of estrogen because there isn't a, when, when, when we refer to estrogen, there isn't an estrogen blood test. The blood test tests for the estrogens and the estrogens are estrone, which is here, Estradiol, which is the one we always check for um, in the serum, and then estriol, which is basically uh, three estrogens, what's called estriol, okay, and estradiol is two and estrone is one. All right, so what matters more than the absolute value of these is how they're getting broken down in your body. And so this, this whole depiction here shows how these things are, are getting broken down in the body, and it goes through a step-by-step -step process. And I'll explain to you what's happening to this patient, and you'll understand why this is so valuable and why I recommend getting the urine testing not the uh, serum testing. So you can see here that estrone is broken down into three parts. 16-hydroxyestrone would be one, 4-hydroxyestrone would be the second metabolite, and 2-hydroxyestrone is the third. And when you look at all of these, the one that you want to go down is this 2-hydroxyestrone pathway because it's protective, okay? Um, this is felt to be, this estrogen component is felt to have, um, felt to be protective against breast cancer in some studies. So you want this to happen. You don't want to create these two guys, all right? And the interesting thing, to go down this protective pathway, you can use things like diendomethane or endo-3-carbinol. Those are supplements, and I can provide links to those below. But what they do is they help your body shift away from these two pathways and go down this 2-hydroxy pathway, all right? And, and you'd say, okay, well, then why shouldn't just everybody with high estrogen levels go down, get, um, you know, take these supplements and eat more brassica vegetables because that will help also go down this path. Well, there's one other there's one other step here that a lot of people miss. So even though you go down to the 2-hydroxyestrone pathway, you still have to turn that into 2-methoxyestrone and you do that via methylation, okay? And I know you guys have heard of methylation. Methylation is a tagging system in the body. It throws a methyl group on and then it helps with the elimination. You're, you're, usually your liver is doing this, but, um, but other places in your body it happens as well. But it flags this uh, and it helps it get eliminated in the body. So in order to get rid of this 2-hydroxyestrone, you have to flag it 
and turn it into 2-methoxyestrone. So what you can do is you can look at how much this person has. So yeah, you can see this little meter here. Okay, they have a lot of 2-hydroxyestrone. Check, that's good. But how much are they actually methylating? And if you go over here, you can see that the their methylation is low. So this person is, is going down the right pathway, doing everything right. Estrogen is high. Yes, estrogens are high. We know that. But it's going down the right pathway. However, it's getting blocked right here. So this is somebody that doesn't need more diendomethane or endothricarbonyl. They need methyl donors to get rid of this. And this is probably somebody who has the MTHFR uh, genetic defect and is, and is unable to eliminate estrogens efficiently. Okay, so you can see why this is so much better than just ordering your estradiol level with, in the serum, which is all you get, and saying, oh, estradiol is high, end of story, you know, take some dim, and you get on, get on your way. It doesn't work that way, okay? And this is why. Um, so it gets a little complex, I know. Um, so what, what I recommend is definitely finding someone to help you understand all these things and order these tests. Uh, but part of that is finding someone who will order the right test. So again, I recommend checking the urinary estrone, estradiol, and estriol levels because you need to see these metabolites, the 16-hydroxyestrone, the 4-hydroxyestrone, and the 2-hydroxyestrone. Uh, and I recommend, obviously, if you didn't already know this, they need to be checked on day 19 through 22 of, the, of your cycle, otherwise known as the mid-luteal phase. And the testing that I recommend is called Dutch urine testing. And I, I believe it stands for dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. Um, it also checks uh, cortisol and cortisone and some other things that we'll be talking about later in this video as well. Um, the treatment is going to be using uh, diendomethane. Well, it really depends on, on what's going on in your, in your blood, as we've mentioned. But um, if, you, if you're not even metabolizing down the right pathway, then you want to use DIM or endothricarbonol. And again, I'll provide some links to those um, in the video below and that'll get rid of it. Uh, and some people may benefit if they have low progesterone from using a bioidentical bio progesterone cream. And I have a recommendation. The really cool thing about progesterone is you can get it over the counter. Uh, you do not need a prescription for it. And they have some high quality um, progesterone creams, uh, even on Amazon, that have very few fillers or, or anything like that. All right, so that's, that's uh, number three. I know this is a lot, but we got, we got, to, keep we got to keep chugging on. So number four, uh, testosterone is a big deal. Uh, low testosterone for especially in women and especially in Hashimoto's and especially if they have insulin resistance. So let me go down here and show you what I mean. So what you need to do is you need to order testosterone levels and you need to order, uh, this is total testosterone. It doesn't say that, but that's what this should be. And you need to get free testosterone levels. And look at this patient's results as a female. And these are the female reference ranges. So you can look here. This person's result was 23. The range is 14 to 76. You know, you can say, okay, well, she's in the bottom 10th or 15th percentile, something like that. And then look at her free testosterone here, 0.27. The range 0.1 to 0.85. Again, really low. So this is low normal range, which, which I usually recommend, especially if you're having libido issues, mood issues, um, inability to lose weight, uh, you know, muscle wasting. Women tend to get atrophy in the tricep area, which causes those flabby arms sometimes. That has a lot to do with testosterone. So this is, this is, this is a very, very classic result I see in so many women. And these women do quite well by adding in some testosterone. Okay. Um, and then what you'll find as well, this is a completely different patient. So before we ordered the, the, I showed you the patient in the example number one, her insulin levels were 22. This person's 14. And again, look at this. So different patient, insulin was 14, hemoglobin A16 was 5.6. Remember, I said, uh, hemoglobin A1C was 5.6. Remember, I said the cutoff is 5.7, but you know, because you've been listening to me, that this person has insulin resistance already, even though another doctor would look at her and say, nope, it's not 5.7, she's, she's, she's fine. Well, that's not true at all. And what happens as insulin goes up, testosterone tends to go down. 
So this is this happens all the time, and, and this is a very, very classic presentation in a lot of women, especially in like their 50s or so. You know, they're having weight problems, you know, and this is a perfect setup for a woman that's going to gain weight when she as soon as she enters menopause, right? She's got she got several bad things going for her. Her insulin's already too high, um, her testosterone's already too low, and she's about to lose all of her estrogen. That is not not a good not a good combination. And she probably has undiagnosed hypothyroidism or she's being undertreated. Okay, so definitely want to look into um, testosterone levels. This one's actually pretty straightforward. Check free and total testosterone. Um, and just, you know, I, you could, I don't always have a, I don't have specific recommendations for how much to give. It just depends on the woman. It depends on how you give it. Um, some women will do really well just taking it transdermally. Other people, other women do better um, if the application of the testosterone is vaginally. All right. And that brings us to number five, which is adrenal fatigue with elevated cortisol levels. Uh, and, and I know you guys are, are know a lot about um, adrenal fatigue by now, um, but this might be a little bit new the way that I look at it, and it might have a little bit of a spin onto it. So I'm going to spend some time on it here. This is a patient, and what I've done again is I've, I've checked cortisol. This over here is cortisone, and this over here is cortisol, Okay. So if you look at this, you see these black lines are what, she, what the range that she should, that this patient should be in. And you can see her results are out of range here. So you can see that she is, um, throughout the entire day, her results for a cortisone are elevated. And if you go over here to cortisol, you can see that in the beginning of the day, sorry, this little thing is getting in my way here, but you can see in the beginning of the day, upon waking, her cortisol is too high. In the morning, it's still too high. In the afternoon, now it's above range, and then it starts to plummet at night. So this is a very dysregulated cortisol pattern that needs to be treated. And you can see that her body's trying to compensate by increasing the amount of cortisone. All right, and now the cortisone is kind of like the protective metabolite. If you have too much cortisol, it'll, it will, uh, your body will try and create more cortisone in the, um, to combat that. So the body is trying to do what it can, but it's not quite getting there. All right, so this would be a big deal. This is someone that's going to have low energy levels. Um, Probably more a little wired in in the in the morning, um, and then it's going to get fatigued in the late afternoon. That's that's pretty classic. So uh, definitely want to check that. I recommend again using Dutch testing for this because it will check all those things we checked out or we talked about before with the estrogen. Okay. And so what I've done here. So for those of you who are still listening, I got some some uh, cool information for you as well. Um, on the website, I have created a hormone testing table PDF that has all the information that that I just discussed here. And what you have to do, you just click on it, you know, it pops up, says get my free hormone testing table, put in your name and your email, and I will send you that email, and it will be, it will have all this information we've just talked about, and I'll go over it in detail. It's actually very similar to this thing you're looking at right now. Um, and it goes over this in a lot of detail, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So thank you guys for listening so much. Um, don't forget, go to the website here. Um, check out the blog post if you want more information. Um, if you like this kind of stuff that you're reading, uh, or you're listening to here and, and you like the blog post, subscribe to the channel. Um, I think you guys, uh, I've got a lot of good uh, information here that I don't think people are typically talking about, and I go into great detail, okay? So again, my name is Dr. Childs. Thank you guys so much, and I look forward to talking with you guys again soon. Bye.